Then Adonijah, the son of Haggath, came to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, and she said, do you come peacefully? He said, peacefully. Then he said, I have something to say to you. She said, speak. He said, you know that the kingdom was mine and that all Israel fully expected me to reign. However, the kingdom has turned about and become my brother's, for it was his from the Lord. And now I have one request to make of you. Do not refuse me. She said to him, speak. And he said, please ask King Solomon, he will not refuse you, to give me Abishag the Shunammite as my wife. Bathsheba said, very well, I will speak for you to the king. So Bathsheba went to King Solomon to speak to him on behalf of Adonijah. And the king rose to meet her and bowed down to her. Then he sat on his throne and had a seat brought for the king's mother and she sat on his right. Then she said, I have one small request to make of you. Do not refuse me. And the king said to her, Make your request, my mother, for I will not refuse you. She said, Let Abishag the Shunammite be given to Adonijah, your brother, as his wife. King Solomon answered his mother, And why do you ask Abishag the Shunammite for Adonijah? Ask for him the kingdom also, for he is my older brother, and on his side are Abiathar the priest and Joab the son of Zeruiah. Then King Solomon swore by the Lord, saying, God do so to me and more also, if this word does not cost Adonijah his life. Now therefore, as the Lord lives, who has established me and placed me on the throne of David my father, and who has made me a house as he promised, Adonijah shall be put to death today. So King Solomon sent Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he struck him down, and he died. And to Abiathar the priest, the king said, Go to Anathoth, to your estate, for you deserve death. But I will not at this time put you to death, because you carried the ark of the Lord God before David my father, and because you shared in all my father's affliction. So Solomon expelled Abiathar from being priest to the Lord, thus fulfilling the word of the Lord, that he had spoken concerning the house of Eli in Shiloh. When the news came to Joab, for Joab had supported Adonijah, although he had not supported Absalom, Joab fled to the tent of the Lord and caught hold of the horns of the altar. And when it was told King Solomon, Joab has fled to the tent of the Lord, and behold, he is beside the altar, Solomon sent Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, saying, Go strike him down. So Benaiah went to the tent of the Lord and said to him, 
the king commands, come out. But he said, no, I will die here. Then Benaiah brought the king word again, saying, Thus said Joab, and thus he answered me. The king replied to him, Do as he has said. Strike him down and bury him, and thus take away from me and from my father's house the guilt for the blood that Joab shed without cause. The Lord will bring back his bloody deeds on his own head, because without the knowledge of my father David, he attacked and killed with the sword two men more righteous and better than himself. Abner, the son of Ner, commander of the army of Israel, and Amasser, the son of Jether, commander of the army of Judah. So shall their blood come back on the head of Joab, and on the head of his descendants forever. But for David and for his descendants and for his house and for his throne, there shall be peace from the Lord forevermore. Then Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, went up and struck him down and put him to death. And he was buried in his own house in the wilderness. The king put Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, over the army in place of Joab, and the king put Zedok the priest in the place of Abiathar. Then the king sent and summoned Shimei and said to him, Build yourself a house in Jerusalem and dwell there, and do not go out from there to any place whatever. <clears throat> For on the day you go out, and cross the brook Kidron, know for certain that you shall die. Your blood shall be on your own head. And Shimei said to the king, What you say is good, as my lord the king has said, so will your servant do. So Shimei lived in Jerusalem many days. But it happened at the end of three years, that two of Shimei's servants ran away to Achish, son of Maacah, king of Gath. And when it was told Shimei, Behold, your servants are in Gath, Shimei rose and saddled a donkey and went to Gath to Achish to seek his servants. Shimei went and brought his servants from Gath. And when Solomon was told that Shimei had gone from Jerusalem to Gath and returned, the king sent and summoned Shimei and said to him, Did I not make you swear by the Lord and solemnly warn you, saying, Know for certain that on the day you go out and go to any place whatever you shall die. And you said to me, What you say is good, I will obey. Why then have you not kept your oath to the Lord and the commandment with which I commanded you? The king also said to Shimei, You know in your own heart all the harm that you did to David my father. So the Lord will bring back your harm on your own head. 
For King Solomon shall be blessed, and the throne of David shall be established before the Lord forever. Then the king commanded Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he went out and struck him down, and he died. Now, last week we asked the question, how can the kingdom of God be made secure? And we said two main answers to this question from 1 Kings chapter 2. Last week we dealt with the first answer, the kingdom will be made secure through obedience to the law of God. In those first four verses, David presses the importance of obedience to God before anything else for a long and secure reign. And we said that we too, if we want to experience security in the kingdom of God today, we must be obedient to the word of God. So how can the kingdom be made secure? Firstly, by obedience to the law of God. Secondly, which will be our focus this morning, by eliminating enemies. To give you a bit of a structure for this chapter, in verses 5 to 9, David leaves Solomon with unfinished business to clear up. Then in verses 10 to 12, we have the death of David recorded. In verses 13 to 46, then, we see Solomon's reaction. We see what he does to clear up unfinished business and establish the kingdom. It is worth noting the word establish in this passage we have established verse 12. So Solomon sat on the throne of David his father and his kingdom was firmly established. We have established verse 45, but King Solomon shall be blessed and the throne of David shall be established before the Lord forever. These two verses bookend the section. We also have established in the middle of this section, verse 24, Now therefore as the Lord lives, who has established me. And the words placed like this, they give us our theme for this section. The theme is establishing the kingdom. And within those words, what we have are the details of how the kingdom is established, how the kingdom is made secure. And what we see from the details this morning is that the kingdom is made secure by eliminating enemies. As we said in verses 5 to 9, David explains some unfinished business people that Solomon needs to deal with, and we're going to think about them, but before that, 
our old friend David's brother Adonijah, he raises his head again. So verse 10, David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. Verse 12, so Solomon sat on the throne of David his father and his kingdom was firmly established. So David has just died. Then Adonijah, verse 13, came to Bathsheba with a request. Of course, he knows better than to go straight to Solomon. He thought Bathsheba would be able to talk Solomon around. Adonijah begins, verse 15, You know that the kingdom was mine, and that all Israel expected me to reign. He can't help himself, can he? Perhaps trying to gain sympathy from Bathsheba that the kingdom was robbed from him. But then he makes his request, verse 17, He says, please ask King Solomon, he'll not refuse you. And he says, ask Solomon to give me Abishag the Shunammite as my wife. So Bathsheba agreed to speak to Solomon. Now Abishag, you may remember, was the woman that was brought to David at the beginning of chapter 1 to bring heat to his body. And we're told that David did not lie with Abishag, although she still would have been regarded as a concubine to the king. And at that time, to ask for a previous concubine of the king, this really was viewed as an attempt of treason, an attempt to put yourself in the position of the king, a step towards taking the throne. When Bathsheba brought the request to Solomon, this is certainly how Solomon read it. Verse 22, King Solomon answered his mother, And why do you ask Abishag the Shunammite for Adonijah? He says, Ask him for the kingdom also, for he's my brother, and on his side are Abiathar the priest and Joab, the son of Zeruiah. See, Solomon's saying, he's saying, I know what he's after. Abishag is just a means to an end for him. You give him Abishag, and you may as well give him the throne. Now, you may also remember from chapter 1, Solomon showed mercy towards Adonijah. He could have already had him executed, but he didn't. Adonijah was given the chance to live. All he had to do was keep his head down, but he couldn't do it. And so, verse 24, Solomon orders that Adonijah be put to death that day. So, verse 25, King Solomon sent Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he struck him down, and he died. And then just following on from that, verses 26 and 27, Solomon also gives instructions to Abiathar. The king said, verse 26, 
go to Anathoth, that's about three miles north of Jerusalem. Go to your estate, for you deserve death. But I will not at this time put you to death, because you carried the ark of the Lord God before David my father, and because you shared in all my father's afflictions. You remember Abiathar, he supported Adonijah trying to take the throne. And again, Solomon could have had him executed, but instead confined him to his own place and took away his role of priest and replaces him with Zadok, verse 35. So we now come to this unfinished business of David. So back to verses 5 and 6. David highlights Joab and his actions towards Abner and Amasa, both of whom Joab killed. David says to Solomon, Act therefore according to your wisdom, but do not let his grey hair go to Sheol in peace. Now 2 Samuel 3 gives us the situation here with Abner. Joab is David's nephew. And in 2 Samuel 3, there's been a battle at Gibeon. And at that battle, Abner killed Joab's brother, Asahel. Now, when King David heard of this, Abner was brought before him, but David decided to send him away in peace. But this did not please Joab. Joab questioned the king about his decision and took matters into his own hands. We're told that Joab sent for Abner, but David did not know about this. And we're told 2 Samuel 3.27 that Joab took Abner aside to speak with him privately and there he struck him in the stomach so that he died for the blood of Azahel, his brother. And when David heard of it, David said that he was guiltless of the blood of Abner and may the blood of Abner fall on the head of Joab. Then there is Amasa. Now you can read more details of this 2 Samuel 20, but again, I'll briefly summarize it. Here, a Benjamite rebelled against David. And so the king called Amasa, together men of Judah, within three days to fight against this rebellion. But Amasa was not ready within the time frame that was given to him. And so David sent Abishai, Joab's other brother, to pursue the rebellion instead. But again, Joab took matters into his own hands regarding Amasa. He wasn't pleased that Amasa had not been ready in time, as the king had told him. And we read in 2 Samuel 20, verse 9 and 10, Joab said to Amasa, It is well with you, my brother. And Joab took Amasa by the beard with his right hand 
to kiss him. So he's, he's trying to make a master believe he's just coming to greet him in a friendly way. But Amasa did not observe the sword that was in Joab's hand. So Joab struck him with it in the stomach and spilled his entrails to the ground without striking a second blow, and he died. So a pretty brutal murder. Now David did not have Joab killed for these two murders. We don't know exactly why he didn't act Perhaps he felt he needed Joab. We know also from Samuel that Joab was key to David taking over Jerusalem. But in any case, he didn't have him killed, and he was leaving it to Solomon to use his wisdom and bring justice on Joab. Now, from verses 28 to 35, then, we see what Solomon did. We see his actions towards Joab. It's highlighted in verse 28 that Joab supported Adonijah. So that was reason in enough, or in itself, to have him executed. And when Adonijah then had been killed, Joab probably knew his own life was at risk. So he fled to the tent of the Lord and took hold of the altar. Now, we've said previously that if you were in trouble, if someone was after your life, it was thought that you could flee to the altar, and if you got to the altar before being caught, your life could be spared. Well, Solomon sent orders for Benaiah to go and strike Joab down. Benaiah commanded Joab to come out of the tent, but Joab refused, saying, I will die here. He possibly thought that Solomon wouldn't see it through and have him killed in the tent of the Lord. But Solomon basically says, let him have it his way. He again recalled his actions, going against the will of his father David, killing Abner and Amasa, And Joab there was killed and buried, and Solomon then put Benaiah, verse 35, over the army in place of Joab. Now we go back to verse 8. David highlights Shimei, who also needs dealt with. David said, He cursed me with a grievous curse, on the day when I went to Mahanaim. But when I came down to meet me at the Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with the sword. Now therefore, do not hold him guiltless, for you are a wise man. You will know what to do with him, and you will bring his grey head down with blood. To Sheol. You can read more of this in 2 Samuel 16. Shimei was continually cursing David. He wanted rid of David. Now, Abishai, another brother of Joab, he wanted to kill Shimei because of his curse on David. But David wouldn't 
allow this. He leaves the situation with the Lord, trusting that he would not be cursed if the Lord did not want him to be cursed. Now, in 2 Samuel 19, Shimei actually did come to David and recognized his wrong and confessed his wrong. But again, Abishai speaks up, suggesting to the king that Shimei should, in fact, be put to death. But David said there, he should not be put to death, and he gave his oath on this. So, of course, it was right for David to keep his oath, but again, he leaves it with Solomon to decide what he should do with Shimei. And we see Solomon's actions in 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 36 to 46. Solomon gave similar instructions to Shimei as he gave to Abiathar. Solomon told Shimei to build a house in Jerusalem and stay there and do not move from there. He says, for the day you go out, you shall surely die. So again, Shimei, he was restrained, he was confined, but he was not put to death. But Shimei, we see, did not obey the king's orders. We're told at the end of three years, two of Shimei's servants ran away and Shimei went after them without first seeking permission from the king. And when the king heard of this, he was true to his word. He reminded Shimei of the conditions, reminded him again of his actions towards David and gave orders for Benaiah to kill him. To verse 46, Then the king commanded Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he went out and struck him down, and he died. Now finally then, verse 7 of 1 Kings 2, David gave instructions regarding Barzillai. He says, But deal loyally, with the sons of Barzillai, the Gileadite, and let them be among those who eat at your table. For with such loyalty they met me when I fled from Absalom, your brother. The details of this are Second Samuel 17. The family of Barzillai looked after David when he fled from Jerusalem, from Absalom, And the family of Barzillai, they gave David a roof over his head. They provided for his needs. They cared for him well, putting their own lives at risk and probably at significant financial cost. Eat your table. Eat at your table. It's almost like a a pension. It's a way of David saying, make sure these men are well looked after and continue to be well looked after for their kindness to me. So the kingdom is established. And the kingdom here is established through eliminating enemies and threats to the security 
of the kingdom. I was Solomon right in what he did. Some accuse him of being harsh and ruthless on a bit of a power drive at the beginning of his reign. I believe he was right. I believe the tone of the passage is positive as the kingdom is established. I believe Solomon Solomon was following advice from his father. I believe certainly at this stage he was putting the kingdom first and was doing all that was necessary to ensure the security of the kingdom. As we live in the kingdom of God today, we need to firstly be obedient to the Lord. That was last week. And secondly, we need to tackle our enemies. Now, the enemy, enemies we fight in the kingdom of God today are the world, the flesh, and the devil. If we want to know security in the kingdom of God, we need to recognize these enemies and we need to deal with them. The enemy of the world. Paul writes to the Galatians Galatians, and he says that Christ died to deliver us from this present evil age. That is, Christ died to deliver us from the world's control and direction on our lives. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 to 6. He says, The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. So he makes the point, firstly, that we are in a spiritual warfare and we fight with spiritual weapons. Now, Paul here is speaking about fighting against the thinking of the world. Distorted patterns of thought about life that drive many people. The answers perhaps, that the world gives to some of life's biggest questions about meaning and purpose and hope. What does the world place importance and value and success upon, perhaps in the home, at work, even in the church? So how do we deal with the world and this influence? Well, Paul says we must demolish, we must destroy this thinking in our lives 
by taking every thought captive to Christ. That is, every opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and there are many, we demolish those opinions in our mind, confident that God's Word reveals the answers to life's biggest questions, and confidence to place importance and value and success by what God determines those to be. There's the enemy of our flesh. Now, the flesh is not referring to all things physical or all things enjoyable, but it is the enemy that Scripture calls the old nature. Being a Christian means fighting the enemy of the old nature. When we became a Christian, we were given the Spirit of God, which gave us a desire to live according to God's ways. But yet we have a battle against that old nature that desires to live against God's ways. Perhaps the flesh is the one we can most identify with, or perhaps the one that we struggle with the most. That desire within us for perhaps lust, or anger, or covetousness, or envy, or revenge, those desires that that just seem to creep up and give us no peace, no feeling of security. So how do we deal with the flesh? Well, the only answer is to kill those desires every time they come. John Owen famously said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Now, of course, we do not do this on our own part. In Romans 8, that the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead has been given to us. Why? That we might put to death the deeds of the body. And then there's the third enemy, the devil. That is Satan, the father of lies, the accuser, the one who prowls around like a roaring the one who has others employed with him, the one who works against God and his people. Satan's work is tempting people to sin, making people believe that sin is good for them. Genesis 3. Satan works to make people doubt the genuineness of their faith like he tried with Job. And Satan works to accuse God's people. In Zechariah 3, the prophet said, it says there, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing 
at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Now in verse 3 there in Zechariah 3 we are told that Joshua was standing before the angel of the Lord. The idea of standing before is standing before judgment. And the angel said to Joshua, Remove your filthy garments. I have taken away your sin and I will clothe you with pure vestments. You see, as Joshua stood before the Lord in judgment, the devil would accuse him of his sin and guilt and everything that made him unworthy to stand before the Lord and to serve the Lord. Now here the Lord himself rebuked Satan and the Lord's angel then assured Joshua he was able to stand before the Lord because his sin had been taken away and he was clothed in righteous, pure garments that were not his own. How often do we feel inadequate and guilty before the Lord and unworthy to serve the Lord? Now, I can't say for sure when we feel like that, when that is directly from the devil, or perhaps when it is just from ourselves, But when it comes, and if it may be the devil, how do we deal with that? We tackle him, we rebuke, we resist him with the truth of God's word. That we are, in fact, forgiven, that we have righteousness that is not our own, And there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Martin Luther once said, he said, The devil tells me I'm a sinner. I reply, tell me something new. I know this, but my sins are no longer mine. They belong to Christ Now, we will continue to fight these enemies through our life, but we are fighting on the victory side. Jesus Christ, when he lived on this earth, he lived confident of the Father's will, wanting and desiring only to do what pleased his Father, not being assuaged by any popular opinion or pressure, not being swayed by the world. And when Jesus Christ was on earth, he overcame the flesh, living by the Spirit of God in complete obedience to God. Jesus Christ has overcame all temptation from the devil. And Jesus Christ has triumphed over every enemy at the cross. 
See, the devil himself was active in the cross. We see that in Luke 22. The flesh, Judas' desire, was active in the cross. And the world, the popular opinion of the day, was active in the cross, even though people knew deep down it wasn't right. But listen to what we read in Colossians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. When Christ died, he cancelled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. The rulers of this age and Satan himself thought they had Christ defeated. But as Christ died on the cross, cancelling the debt of his people, defeating our sin, there he defeated the rulers of this age and Satan himself triumphing gloriously over them. And the proof, of course, was his resurrection, Ephesians 1, when Christ was raised far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. We keep our enemies at a distance now through the power of Jesus Christ until the day when Christ himself will eliminate all our enemies once and for all. King Solomon established his kingdom through eliminating enemies and bringing justice. And so his descendant, King Jesus, will finally establish his kingdom through eliminating enemies and bringing justice. Matthew 13 tells us that those who have rejected the king will be sent on the king's orders to suffer punishment. But those who have accepted and submitted and followed the king, they will shine like righteousness in his kingdom. They will enjoy a final established kingdom where death and sin and Satan are once and for all time eliminated. Our only true and lasting safety and security is in submitting to Jesus Christ. Let us pray.